This is a Hot Pie Original. Uh, welcome to the Gray Area Podcast with me, Chad Fisher. No more, no more. Yo, yo, it's Aaron Cheetah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Gray Area Podcast. I am Chad Fisher, alongside my co-host, Mr. Aaron Cheatham. Aaron, how are you doing, brother? Brother, I am fantastic, boy. I'm That's trying good. to tell you, we in the brought the energy today. Building, the, of course, I man. Like we here at the luxurious Hot Pie Media Studios, right down here on the shores of the Colorado River in downtown Austin. We're watching, we're watching people in kayaks and stuff. Like I'm feeling <laughs> great. Like, where else can you record and there's people kayaking outside with no bears around? Yeah, right outside of a homeless encampment and shit. That's the thing. That's a real thing. But it's Austin, Texas, baby. And thank you all for yeah. tuning in to the Gray Area Podcast. How you been? How was your- I'm doing how, great, brother. How was your holiday Happy season? Happy New Year, man. It's, it's, it, was, it was fantastic. Got some family time. Got to chill. Yeah? Yeah, got everything I wanted. Got some new Jordans, man. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dog. Hold on, you got Jordans? Hell yeah. You're a dad. You don't get cool I stuff get anymore. I Jordans, man. You know what I got? The, I got Jordans. My son was born on Christmas, so like his our first uh, Christmas as parents, I got a fucking drill. Oh shit! Yeah, and that's awesome, man. and a necktie. And I, got I was a like, drill this year too. That's like dad shit. That's yeah. yeah. That's what they do. That's see. That's that's it right there. Yeah, I like me, it. She gave me some slippers. <laughs> she gave me a tie, and then she slipped me a like drill. A re- remote control holder or some shit. <laughs> like, like, we got a new, dad shit. We ever. got a new lazy boy that already had grooves in it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got like a used lazy boy and shit. Yeah, with, like, the, a bunch all, of dog hair on it. And be, shit. <laughs> before you're a dad. Oh, they give you cool presents here. Yeah, some yeah. shoes. Yeah, hey, I got you that video game. Yeah, you yeah. Want. Here's tickets to the go see. This the, year it's just like yeah, uh, and it was something like, to help you work easier. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna need shit done around the house. Here's a drill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here's the ladder. Remember, I was telling you about those gutters last week. And get your remember, ass remember when we couldn't reach that light bulb? Yeah. And we had to borrow. Oh. We had to borrow Benny's ladder. Don't have that problem no more. So I got you a ladder for Christmas yeah. and a lawnmower. <laughs> Damn, thanks. <laughs> looks, looks like I'm going to work. In you? fact, open the back. There's a shed yeah. full of stuff for. <laughs> Kind of tools so you, you can fix build shit. me shit. Yeah, dude. Like you're a carpenter and a plumber now. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know it. Yeah, it's awesome. welcome, welcome to dad. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Well, I'm super excited. I know you are as well, man, because we got an awesome guest. We got an awesome guest. Before we go to our guest, do you have a shout out? You have oh, a tip, yeah. Do you have a tip of the hat? Do you have yeah, a flip so, of the cup? What uh, you got? A shout out to a Boston University study finds that, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, I'm sorry, uh, but finds that uh, nine out of 10 people that die from COVID have like a very low levels of vitamin D in their body. And I think this is like super interesting. It's obviously something we need to look into more and talk about a little bit more as well. And then then their basketball team wears masks to play basketball now, dude, which is so fucked up. <laughs> like, they don't even have them all. I was watching the, like the highlights last night. They're, everyone's like playing. It's like below their nose. I'm like, what are we doing this for, man? <laughs> This is ridiculous. Wait. They're like, until someone passes out and dies, they're like, all right, hold on. Maybe we shouldn't do that. I just want to clarify for, my, for myself. Yeah. You're shouting out Boston University. I'm shouting out Boston Because they're University. killing it right now in this COVID game. And then their basketball team looks they're, like a bunch of like, I don't know, like fucking. It looks like um like like MASH in real life. Yeah. But they're playing yeah. basketball. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great show. It was a great show. Yeah, one of my favorite shows. Uh, I like to give a shout out. My shout out is to uh, John Huber, uh, also known as uh, Brody Lee, formerly in WWE. He was known as uh, Luke Harper, but he passed away uh, recently. and. When he passed away, you know, when a celebrity dies, sometimes you get like dirt comes out or people want to, you know, throw shots or, you know, but legitimately everybody that said anything about this dude has had nothing but good things to say. So that tells you the type of person he was uh, in real life outside of the ring where everything that everybody said was how much he loved his family, how great of a guy he was, how, how good of a friend he was. Nobody, nobody even sniffed. There was nothing negative even came out. At all, he was a great dude. He was an underused talent in WWE. Uh, went on though to show the people that he he's a great performer. Uh, he will be missed. He passed away at the age of forty one. Uh, so shout out to yeah. to Brody Lee, John Huber, uh, and his family. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, man. So that's my shout he out. Had a hell of a full Nelson too. 
<laughs> I don't know, though. I gotta throw some. You know, I'm a Why do you hate Russell? Because I'm Silver? an asshole, dude. You know, I'm a jackass. All right. See, this is the see. This is why I don't hang out with people that don't wear drawers. <laughs> 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 this is why I can't hang out uh, with people like you. But we got a, we got a big guest that we yeah, want to yeah, bring so on. Yeah, so we're super excited uh, today. Our guest is uh, recently a congressional candidate in District 12 in California. Mm-hmm. He opposed Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're super excited to welcome to the show Shahid Buttar. How are you doing, brother? Thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciated it. It's my honor. Thanks for having me. On. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's great to meet you both. Hey, y'all, y'all got me cracking up over here. Oh, dude. Oh, good, good, good. Good. I have, I have a question for you, though. Before we even like get real <laughs> deep in this, I told Chad that if the circumstances lined up, I was going to ask you this question. And the circumstances have lined up. Every interview I've seen with you, you're in that room. Where are you? What room is that? Where, like, where are you at right now? This is literally my bedroom. Oh, what's up? Five feet to my left is my bed. This is the wall behind (laughs) me, and this is my dresser. Oh, and in order to set up the shot, I have like an obstacle course of things through my room to like walk around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Not fancy. So you're not living the high life. You don't have like a twelve thousand dollar refrigerator or anything like that, unfortunately. Yeah, far, far from it. I just have one room in a two bedroom apartment. What's what's the? Really have anywhere to (laughs) set up? You know, plus there's a pandemic happening. So I I used to have the office. Yeah. uh, you would I go to interviews at least, but yeah. we don't have the office anymore. So this is literally like, I occasionally do like selfie videos on our my back porch. It's like a fire escape. Oh, what's up? So okay, those are like the two spaces. I yeah, have. yeah. That is the the realest thing I've heard in twenty twenty. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that man. That's so, so refreshing, real. dude, to hear something like that instead of like, oh yeah. No, I'm I'm in, I'm in my I'm in my downstairs office. <laughs> yeah. uh, if in terms of camera around, office and, is, yeah, is, is full. Right you don't now. have like a full library. You're not putting <laughs> yeah. on the front like that's. He's a that's real man. Your, that's awesome, man. No, yeah, I, I love really that. Cool. I noticed that in every video, though, you were there. And I was like, what is that room? I have to know. <laughs> it, it's become an object of conversation on the team. People are like, you know, we really should figure out a background for you. And I've been thinking about like a green screen. Yeah. It just seems more organic. I don't no, know. I like that, man. And uh, the colors look good as well. Um, yeah. Did yeah, you? This is actually like a, like, a, it's not wallpaper. It's like a San Francisco has interesting architecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like etching in the wall, you know. So did you paint that yourself? Like, what's up with your wallpaper? I'm like, I don't have any. Wallpaper. The wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this uh, one. This is not 1987, and uh, I don't have wallpaper. <laughs> 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 it's funny you should say that because 1987 is the last year that Nancy Pelosi debated anyone. Oh there wow, that's crazy! Bang, Y'all, you got bang, to. Bang, bang. <laughs> uh, that's something we want to get to eventually as well. Uh, that's one of the questions we have for you, and I. I, I uh, Definitely want to get into that more because I found that fascinating when I was researching uh, for this interview and everything, and I thought that was incredible. So uh, we're definitely going to get to that. So uh, Yeah, so without further ado, Shahid, are you ready to play a game with us? I'm up. All right, then. The game we are playing is called Don't Quote Me, Boy. All right? Now I'm going to read you a quote, you and Chad both, and you guys are going to answer A or B who you think said it. I'll give you two options on who said the quote. And the winner gets... We're gonna mail it to him if he wins. Yeah, if if you win, then you get our celebratory gray area podcast paperweight bag. That is for the winner. That is a high Dude, prize. It's, like, a, it's a paperweight fast, bag. Like, to answer before Chad does. Is that? Yeah, no, no. So we just uh, it just goes on who gets it right. Yeah, I just guess. on who gets it right. Yeah, yeah no you, you guys are yeah, each no have buzzer. a guess. Yeah. All right, are we ready, guys? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All right. So our first quote is the biggest problem that we have is that California is being run now by special interest. All of the politicians are not anymore making the moves for the people, but for special interest. And we have to stop that. Was that Kamala Harris or Arnold Schwarzenegger? (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely the Schwarzenegger. Yeah. I have to say it too. (laughs) It has to be Arnold. All right. Both of you are correct. That Uh, was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Look at him. All right, then. Progressive ideas. Arnold. And, and by the way, all of these, uh, since you are uh, from California, all of these quotes are going to be either uh, pertaining to or from people that are, that are from California. Okay. All right. Whatever starts in California, unfortunately, has an inclination to spread. Was that Jimmy Carter or Ronald Reagan? Again, yeah, the former governor. That's definitely Reagan. Reagan? I'm going to say Carter. It was Carter. It oh, was Carter. Jimmy that. Carter said that. Wow. I think he meant it as a disc. Because Jimmy Carter being the first president to put solar panels on the White House, it seemed like he actually was a fan of the things that started here. But, you know, that's foolish. uh, What is it? Inconsistency is the hobgoblins. uh, (laughs) Yeah. There you go. He sold y'all out as soon as he got got big. Yeah, he sold out real quick. He didn't (laughs) didn't hesitate to sell out. Um, Here we go. If I don't finish in the top three for the next Nobel Peace Prize, something's seriously wrong. 
Was that Dennis Rodman or Kevin Hart? Ooh. I can repeat it if you guys would like. I'll say Robin. You say Robin? with that too. Yeah. You are correct. It was yeah. Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman did say that. Uh, you beat me though. You got three out of three. I only, I only batted uh, dude, I'm two just out of three. Killing it. Uh, Chad prepared. Somebody studied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This, is a, this one is a sports related one. The stats win nothing. I'm still sexy. I'm still great. Was that Deion Sanders or Shaquille O'Neal? Oh, that's Shaq. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is definitely some yeah, Shaq stuff. <laughs> that is some Shaq that's mess. Some um, all right, we got three more. Three more. So far, you're up on the cards by one, Chad. You ready? Right, yep. Shahid, you ready? Yeah, here we go. You can look at the state of California, which is on a pathway to destruction because they expanded government too much, thinking that there would always be someone to pay for it. Was that Donald Trump or Greg Abbott? Oh, that's got to be Trump. I'm going to, again, yeah, I'd line up the chat on that. That sounds like Trump. It was actually Greg Abbott. Oh, wow. Texas' oh. own Greg Abbott said that. He don't okay. give a shit. You know, the same Greg Abbott that said, Texas is open for business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bring yeah. us your tech. Yeah. Because you're going to hell over He's there like, on the yeah, West Coast. We're totally willing to cut down some forests for some more uh, concrete buildings. <laughs> we don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's getting right. hotter here for some reason. No one knows why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Next to last one. If I... Had my way, sporting guns would be strictly regulated. The rest would be confiscated. Was that Beto O'Rourke or Nancy Pelosi? Oh, Pelosi. That sounds like Pelosi. I don't think Beto could get away with saying something. Yeah, not in Texas. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not in Texas. All right. And you are correct. That was yeah. Nancy Pelosi. I got to be honest, I'm embarrassed by confusing Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. You should be, <laughs> but you should be, though, like, for real. Like, <laughs> like, that's your state. You should be on top of this. You can't memorize every quote, though, brother, so don't worry about it. All right, last one. We strongly support the, trans, the transpartisan movement to end the illegitimate criminalization of cannabis. It's a civil rights imperative, a pathway to green jobs, and an opportunity to help address the opioid crisis all in one. Was that Arnold Schwarzenegger or was that Shahid Buttar? Because <laughs> you were saying that, like that sounds really. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said that first. <laughs> Who beat me to that? <laughs> He's like, oh man. He's like, I've been. You <laughs> afraid you got some uh, plagiarism uh, claims coming up soon? He's like, oh shit. I thought I said that. <laughs> he was calling his goons. I saw it in his face. He's like, I gotta make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah, that's a good one to end on. Man. All right. Well, then, Chad, you are the winner. Yeah. So if I ever have a like a, a office like outside and need to hold down some papers. No, I'm good to go. you will be defending that from here forward yeah. in all the games. That is, that is our championship. Oh, okay. That's our trophy. Yeah. Trophy. That yeah. is the trophy. Okay. And I'm so glad we didn't have to ship it to California. <laughs> yeah, dude, cause that would have cost <laughs> like four times more than what the, the prize was. So I couldn't lose to a better host. <laughs> oh, hey. thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Look at that. <laughs> Look, thank <laughs> you for playing. She the game. some damn respect around here, man. Look at this. Well, our put guests. on some draws and then you can <laughs> get I'll wear draws. You can stop. <laughs> you know, I wear draws. Quit playing. How would I know? <laughs> oh, Chad, you got headlines for us? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is a California theme headline um uh where are we at here uh, mysterious gingerbread monolith appears in san francisco Wait, what uh, <laughs> mysterious gingerbread monolith you know how they've been like the mo like the alien monolith yeah yeah it's been going around made so out there's of a gingerbread, gingerbread one. So far from my house yeah okay that's awesome Did, you saw it should have broke off a piece uh, the, by the time i got up there actually it collapsed because it, it went up one day and then it rained and it collapsed <laughs> that sucks day. dude <laughs> somebody uh advantage uh, the city's park uh, parks director said it looks like a great spot to get baked. <laughs> <laughs> he said they're gonna leave it up until yeah. the cookie crumbles. Yeah, right? they were, oh, oh. Dun, dun, dude, yes. five minutes later he could be found like uh like just uh pounding a bowl, just smoking a bowl right beside. Well, it. It's like, now, I said now, it was a good place to get baked. Now I wasn't lying. It's not a bad spot. It's got a great view of the city. There you go. What's up? It's a little and, windy though. Yeah, know, and you're like, and you're totally fine because uh, after you get blazed, then you can just break off a piece of gingerbread. And your munchies are like I, covered too. That might have been the point. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's like, everybody come up here and smoke some. We take from the top, though, man. Don't take from the bottom, man. <laughs> We've all played Jenga before. We know how this how this ends, man. Take from the top. I always <laughs> wanted to know where the Muffin Man lives. Yeah, dude. There, and now, now we know. We know. Drury Lane in San Francisco apparently uh, is where the Muffin Man lives. Yeah. Um, and then so uh, next. Um, not to get too real with it, but um, like this, I mean, it's poignant because the Muffin Man would have joined in that case entirely too many. 
San Franciscans who don't have shelter at the moment. So like that's yeah, dude. There we go. That that could have um, housed a couple of them at least. You know, right? Well, not with social distancing. They would yeah, that's a, right. They would have needed a mother-in-law gingerbread house in, <laughs> yeah, the, back, yeah, yeah. in the backyard. That's true. That's true. Um, and you've got some uh, stuff on our next headline: the French rave, man. So uh, yeah, this was hilarious. I dude. didn't. So, I, I don't have the story pulled up in front. Yeah. Of me. So. Um, Shahid, did you hear about the the rave, the New Year's Day rave in France? It was a small town uh, in northwest France that had a rave that started on New Year's Eve and ran until uh, Saturday morning about five o'clock. About twenty five hundred people attended this this party. Yeah. That look on your face. This was in France. Okay, And uh, the police in complete French fashion, uh, instead of going in and stopping it, they just set up a perimeter outside of it. And they just arrested people as they came out of the party. And they allowed it to rage on for about two and a half days. He's like, let them have their fun. We'll get them when they come out. You know? Right. <laughs> I, for, I can't imagine being at a party for two days. That is way too <laughs> much party. To that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can definitely relate to that. I'm a DJ, right? So like, I, oh, I'm, shit. I'm all for a good party. It seems like a crazy time for people to be coming together in mass. It, I mean, to the extent it's safe or, you know, one of the communities that it happens in has overcome the virus maybe, but. Dude, that's awesome that you're a DJ. Stories like that makes me like painfully aware of how miserably we failed in the United States. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, um, but real you know quick, I, I do want to say real quick that is that, that that's awesome that you're a DJ, man. That's uh, um that's so refreshing considering like all the politicians we're used to are like really stuffed up and all this stuff aren't like regular people and everything. Like also California taxpayers, listen to me. Uh, if, if he wins in 2022, the inauguration party, yeah, it's going to be, be bombed, <laughs> And we're going to save a fortune on hiring a DJ. We just have, have Shahid do it. You know what I'm saying? And we're good, but it'll be like way better than like if, if Pelosi gets elected, it's probably going to be playing like, I don't know, like Jimmy Buffett or some shit. You know what I'm saying? It's going to have some good music going. Shot, 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 head. Just our, kidding. It. That'd be so dope. Yeah. Can our, I come? I, yeah. Right. I had a chance to spend one of my favorite uh, DJ memories ever was spinning a set outside across the street from the White House. Dude. Uh, He's uh, like, fuck the police. Ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I opened up with Malcolm X and I was Dude, a public enemy. And it was that's awesome, man. What was the event? Like, what were you, uh, what were you DJing for? It's, it's called catharsis. It happens. It did happen every year until the pandemic. I expect it to start again when it's safe, but it's a, a regional burning man event in the nation's capital. That's awesome, man. It particularly, uh, has an homage to healing with a, it was started actually by a group of veterans, uh, and people in solidarity with veterans on veterans day as sort of a combination, uh, homage to cannabis to people who were uh, struggling with the opioid crisis, kind of remixing on some of the themes. Yeah. Of and that's really you read. Um, and it, it was held for the first couple of years on Veterans Day. And then they uh, they pivoted it. But it was it was sort of uh, at the fusion of a policy conference that was hosted by the Drug Policy Alliance and Veterans Day. They both happened on a confluence. And so it was an all weekend camp out party in Washington, D.C. that happened every November for the last several years. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's dope. I got to spit. This was a Saturday night right after we'd burned the effigy, um, I think about <laughs> two years ago, maybe three years ago. And this is like in front of, like a, across the street from the White House? Trump's White House. Yeah. Dude, that's was, awesome. I mean, oh, that's so gangster. But that you said gangster. Trump's White House. That makes, that makes it even more gangster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is hood. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was a cross between Occupy and the French Raid you were talking about. I mean, if you took that French Raid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's awesome, dude. All right. I'm trying to go to one of these parties, man. Shit. Let's, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, to, to, not to get too real with this, too, but before I went to law school, I came up emceeing protest songs, right? So, like, I'm a, I'm a protest emcee. What's up? I went to law school and then spent 20 years fighting Washington. That's so cool, man. Congress. Like, that's kind of like. Oh, wow. Dude, how did he not get elected? This is messed up. <laughs> like, this dude is so cool. <laughs> Jesus. It was, it was rigged. Remember fraud. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so our last headline real quick, and that kind of uh, good segue here is uh, Trump reportedly tried calling Georgia's Secretary of State 18 times before finally getting him on the phone to pressure him to find quote, find 11,780 votes. <laughs> the, the, the funniest shit is that... What are you, what are you thinking right now? Like, your, your response to that, what are you thinking, Shahid? These fools, I, these fools are about <laughs> as far as I can get because I don't even know where to go with that. I just yeah. don't understand the, the level of audacity yeah, yeah, yeah. that would prompt someone to think that yeah. they can get away with this. It's yeah. just absolutely galling to me. Yeah, it's hilarious, I mean, it man. Is the fact that he almost could. Yeah. yeah can I, I, I have a question. Like, so you... 
you were on record uh, last year saying that you were a Bernie guy. And, and then now Biden has won and we have all of this going on. Like, uh, what's your perspective on 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 where we're at right now with Biden, trans, uh, you know, going to be get, going into office pretty soon here uh, and and what Trump is doing right now? You're you're in the game. So you have a better perspective than I do. I don't know about a better perspective, but I know I'd share this one. Trump is aspiring to seize the presidency and subvert the republic in no uncertain terms. He's doing it in broad daylight, and he has the support of dozens of Republican federal elected office holders. And that is outrageous. It is. And when people talk about it's not a coup, it is a coup, oh, it's not going to work. None of that's terribly interesting to me. It is absolutely contrary to the oath of office. It absolutely subverts the Constitution. It is open sedition by a major political party. And the fact that we are not framing it that way, I think is terribly dangerous, particularly because when people say it's not going to work, you know, the key to whether it works or not, it's not as if the entire body politic has to say it's okay. It only takes critical decision makers like the Republican senators that are backing up the president. So we're much closer to the end of the Republic than I think most casual observers would care to recognize. And you know, I say this as a legal realist. This is going to sound like a diversion, but I'll, I'll connect it back in a second. Uh, several years ago, that was 2012, Barack Obama passed a version of the National Defense Authorization Act that included provisions that could be read to justify indefinite military detention within the U.S. without charge or trial. Mm -hmm. And I wrote an amicus brief in a lawsuit, Obama versus Hedges, Chris Hedges challenged the law. And our point in the brief that we wrote particularly was, you're never going to get a law that says outright, this is happening. The nature of particularly the executive branch is to game the system. And so any leeway the executive branch has, it will claim, you know, if you give the executive branch an inch, it will take a mile. Yep. And that's why Congress exists. It's why it's, it's the first article in the Constitution. The founders of the Constitution wrote it to constrain the executive branch. That's why we have a Constitution. We revolted from a monarchy and we wanted a different system that put the people first. And Today's congressional representatives have forgotten that entirely. And that's why Trump even remains in office. If we had Congress that was willing to stand up for its job, he would have been removed a long time ago. And I could chase the rabbit on impeachment and how Pelosi failed there. Yeah. What was the transpartisan case that could have brought him down a year ago? But to get to the other part of your question, now that Biden is there, presuming he comes into office and we all, I just want to double down on this. It's important that we all stay vigilant for the continuing machinations from the right wing to subvert the peaceful transition of power in which we've all been justifiably proud for hundreds of years. It's much more ephemeral and fragile than people think. But presuming that Biden comes in, I would like to see us in the movement just continue the full-throated resistance to the White House, uh, White House and yeah. the right-wing rule of capital mm -hmm. that thankfully emerged under Trump. I don't expect anything to change under Biden except the possibility of a lot of comfortable liberals going back to lunch, brunch. And that's not okay. We need to stay active. We need to keep pressing for everything from universal basic income, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal. We need to recover power away from Wall Street to the American people and invest our resources for the future, not for the comfort of the opulent. And, and those are decisions that are going to take organizing and they're going to take, frankly, opposition to the Biden administration. Because while I'm glad that Trump is going out, Biden was without any shadow of a doubt, the most conservative among the Democratic nominees, yeah. with the exception of Michael Bloomberg, who was and remains a Republican. So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, it's the exception that proves the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are, what are the chances that Trump and these decision makers that that he has behind him uh, break off and start their own party or start a, another faction, faction yeah. of the Republican Party? Is that a is that a real possibility? And uh, if so, what does that look like? What does that mean to us? I think to some extent they already took it. They took the main Republican Party and, and it predates Trump, right? I mean, Trump's uh, wing of the party <clears throat> to some extent is what became of the Tea Party. And so the Tea Party was the right wing populist movement that 10 years ago emerged in, within and around the Republican Party. And they rose to the fore and displaced the traditional power center. And so when you say, is Trump going to go back to storm and like form a new thing? I don't think he needs a new thing. He's got the old thing. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, don't, I don't think yeah. the Republican Party has liberated itself of Trump in any way. And frankly, I don't think it can because Trump is merely an overt face to what the Republican Party has long tried to effectuate with a kinder, more, you know, genteel face. He simply says the quiet parts out loud. Um, 
<clears throat> and then I'd say, you know, for what it's worth, too, on the on the other side of the fence, <clears throat> there is a battle within the Democratic Party for the party's soul. But in, whereas Republicans, frankly, welcomed and resourced and invited the populist movement that ultimately subverted its institutional power base, the opposite has ha- happened in, in the Democratic Party, where the institutional corporate power base has done everything possible to marginalize, sideline, smear, suppress the insurgent populist left. And, and the country, I dare say our species, continues and will continue to pay a price for that. Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree, brother. I mean, um, uh, I just I, fi- I find it hilarious. Like in the the headline that we're talking about with Trump and everything that he's like, like, like Shahid said uh, that he's a uh, he's like so overt with this. You know what I mean? That, that I just like I just picture him like like uh, I don't know, like super late night. He's got like a bunch of McDonald's bags like strewn about and everything, and he's just doing like his last rail. And he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll call Georgia. The senator or the governor, whoever the hell it is. Hey, man, can you find like 11,000 folks, man? Please, I'll do anything. I got unlimited Big Macs. Please just help me out. He's like, dude, you need to go to bed. <laughs> dude, he's just like, he's grasping at straws now. It's just hilarious, man. It's it just is. like a little child whose who's toy's been taken away, you know? Um, and, and I do think of the saving grace for our republic is the fact that so many Republicans have come out to repudiate him. Many mm-hmm, of them have, mm-hmm. thankfully. Yeah. But that's about the only thing saving us right now. Yeah. Because if the Republican Party was a block, as it has been in policy context, I don't have any faith at all in the corporate Democrats in Washington to actually use their power when necessary, because they never have before, at least not on behalf of the American people. If it serves Wall Street, they'll intervene. But you know, the, the, the tragedy and the hole in the bucket of our democracy is that fascism is always good for business. So if it's Wall Street that we're relying on to resist fascism, we are in for an inevitable rude surprise. And and that's why I think the emergence of a populist left is so not just politically, but constitutionally important in the United States in this point in our history. Yeah. Um, I've got a question for you here as well uh, about the uh, so uh, in some of your in an interview I watched of yours, uh, you called the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries predatory. And I want to ask you uh, if you could speak more on that. I totally agree with you. But uh, with that being said, do you think there's any political or monetary motivation in regards to the COVID response that we've seen? Um, I mean, obviously, there's some numbers that you can't really ignore. I think that I read uh, today or yesterday that um, millionaires and billionaires have accrued over nearly $2 trillion worth of wealth. It's been like this massive wealth transfer in the last you know nine, 10 months or whatever. Um, and how do you think the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries kind of play into that or, or help that or exacerbate it or whatnot? Great question. Thanks for raising it. Yeah, they're absolutely predatory industries. And, it, and it's because it, I'd say slightly less so than, say, weapons manufacturing, yeah. fossil fuel extraction. Mm-hmm. Like those are quintessentially predatory industries, right? Yeah. But the health insurance industry is a very sophisticated racket. Yep. They take money from people and they pay out less and mm-hmm. they pay their executives the excess. Oh. Mm-hmm. it's that simple right and like that is a scam at at, at scale mm-hmm. yeah totally agree it emerges differently it's particularly the uh acceptance and leveraging public dollars for research and development that, that's then monetized for private gain yeah and when you have public investment in for instance you know vaccines uh there should be public participation in the rewards from it you know, the government uh, investing in private pharmaceutical research is effectively privatized in the reclamation of the profit stream from it just for the corporation shareholders and, and executives. And ultimately, when we have public dollars invested in things, those should be for public benefits. This also comes out, you can see, in the way that pharmaceutical development, uh, kind of like technology, ends up serving the convenience of the wealthy instead of the needs of the many, mm-hmm. right? Uh just the prioritization of what is lucrative to bring to market is not the pharmaceuticals that meet the greatest human need. They're the pharmaceuticals that can redound to the greatest corporate profit. And yep. usually that has some intersection of what health insurance companies mm-hmm. will reimburse for. So they get a little bit of a circularity between these two different wings of the you know predatory aspect of the healthcare system. It, just a piece here to throw on top of that. There's a uh, question as to what the alternatives might be mm-hmm. to these industries. I want to just separate the sort of like 
parts of the proposal. So Medicare for all, what a lot of people are, what a bipartisan majority across the United States favors, that's a proposal to socialize the health insurance industry only, not the health delivery system. And I, further than that, would like to see us nationalize the pharmaceutical sector. In Britain and many countries that have more robust socialized medicine structures, they also have national or socialized health delivery systems like the National Health Service in the UK. The debate over Medicare for all does not go that far. Uh, and and you know, maybe it should. There's a question. We can have that debate. So how does that work? Outset. How does that work if it's just uh, if it's not the delivery part? Like because uh, I thought it encompassed the entire thing. But if it if it's split into two, like how how would that how does how does that help us? Well, it just makes it it's a less transformative um, transition. If it were like the NHS, if it were socialized across the delivery system, then it would look like the VA, where everybody mm. goes to the same hospital and you know, you've got doctors from a huge pool and it's all single payer and it's and it's all synthesized throughout. Like so a veteran's experience at the VA is the closest thing we have in the US to a British citizen's experience in the NHS. I don't think that's Medicare that bad. For all says, let's leave all the separate hospitals and all the different doctor provider groups and all of the different patient delivery uh, care delivery services in private hands. But let's just make sure that they're all paid through a single payer, namely the government, which because it will be the single payer is going to have a great deal of purchasing power to drive down prices. Got you. Right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to health insurance companies, which end up, you know, they, they have an individual incentive to hold prices down alongside a industry wide incentive to inflate prices. Yeah. And that's what we've seen. You know, that's the dynamic. That's why healthcare costs continue to, you know, grow beyond any reasonable, uh, you know, comparable indicator. Gotcha. Um, so basically Medicare for all socializing the insurance layer would mean that, Americans who need to see a doctor or need to get some healthcare treatment will have a much more streamlined experience because you don't have to go to the VA. You don't have to go to the government health care system. You can go to your doctor. In fact, you can go to any doctor. There's no in-network. There's no out-of-network. Everybody's in the network now. So you just pick the closest or whoever you want to go see for your medical care. And then it gets paid through your tax dollars. Yeah. It's very elegant and straightforward and yeah. simple. And it preserves and frankly expands patient choice. And that's a part of the Medicare for all debate and policy proposal that a lot of people allied or skip over, you know, they focus on the fact that, okay, no one's going to go bankrupt now if they get sick. Absolutely. That's so important. No one's yep. going to go homeless if they get sick. Yep. That's right. so important, right? Yeah. But beyond that is you get more choice in your medical care under a single payer system because you're not chained then to the corporate networks that say HMOs, for instance, lock people into. Yeah. Uh, and so socializing the insurance layer as opposed to the delivery layer will It'll be somewhat, I think, easier for people to embrace, and it'll be particularly liberatory as people have, you know, infinite choice in how to fill their. And of course, the the medical industry is pushing back on that hard because, yeah. like, it and makes they have the sense. resources to do so because they've been they've been making money hand over fist yeah. for generations now. So why would we give that up? Yeah, and that go, that leads into my next question, Shahid. Uh, you support Medicare for all. Uh, I want to ask you, like, what do you think is holding it up? I know you talked about it briefly there. Uh, what do you think is holding it up? And if we can't have uh, Medicare for all during a global pandemic, will we ever get it? Like, seriously? Because you would think right now it'd be like, uh, people are like, okay, yeah, I can see why we need this. But if we don't get it now, when, when, when will we ever have it? Real talk. Let's start with the first. What's holding it back? I mean, I think Aaron nailed it just in the bridge between those questions. What's mm -hmm. holding it back is just massive amounts of corporate capital yeah. and the co-optation of Congress and its servitude to corporate capital before the members' constituents. Mm -hmm. And that's not a new story. That's unfortunately been, you know, demonstrated a million different ways. It's one reason why I say corporate rule is killing us yeah. increasingly en masse in the United States. And, you know, to your second part of your question, will we ever get Medicare for all if we can't get it now? I, you know, I'll give you two answers to that. I, I mean, I first want to expand the context. And I want to give you a real answer okay. that does offer some hope in an admittedly dark time. Mm -hmm. the, as you offer me the question, my attitude towards it is, is uh, I don't want to say ambivalent because I have a great deal of hope. And I also am, unfortunately, I think we're all aware of the reality. And, and I compare it to the climate crisis. You know, the UN gives us, we're, we're past the point at this point of the climate crisis becoming <clears throat> unquantifiably miserable. And I'm not going to say we're doomed, but like life as we have long known it is not going to be possible anymore. And that is simply a matter of fact, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we are still subsidizing fossil fuel extraction. 
It is absolutely, it is beyond preposterous. It's beyond heinous. And if we can't get a Green New Deal while in the entire state of California is on fire and our most powerful voice in Washington derides it as a dream, yeah. are, are we going to get on the other side of the climate crisis? Will your grandchildren have an opportunity to survive? Mm -hmm. I frankly don't know. Wow. And that's a horrifying thing yeah. for anybody to grapple with and acknowledge that that is in fact the case. And yeah, if we can't get Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic, you know, one would hope that this would be the maximal point of opportunity. Now, the hope in that admittedly dark time, I've also said that I don't have any trust or frankly hope for Joe Biden. This goes back to the first question. Yeah. Me, but I do. And I don't have a lot of trust in Kamala Harris, but I do have hope in Kamala Harris precisely for the same reason that I criticized her as a presidential candidate. I don't see her as someone who has very deep-seated convictions, uh, which is frankly opportune at a moment like this. Because yeah. if there is a loud enough voice with enough voices from the body politic, I think a politician like her will smell the future and want to cement her legacy by standing with it. And you know, she has been in any number of ways willing to sort pour her capital, and she's also been willing to repudiate her previous positions. And you know, she came out for the Green New Deal. When she was a presidential candidate, I don't think as a vice president, she's going to have a great deal, yeah, maybe support. she'll have more influence than, 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 I, than I hope. But I also think it's likely that she might be the president at some point. <laughs> yeah. and, I don't know why I think that's funny. she could be a pivotal figure historically. And, and just these questions, if she rises to the moment, uh, as I hope that she might. Yeah. I have a question. So uh, you, wanted, you, you ran for Congress and you have these... Uh, this ideology that may not line up with a lot of people that are there right now. So uh, if you, if you had succeeded in your bid for uh, office, what could you have actually done? You're just one man, uh, you know, from California. Yeah. Like what, what could you have actually, is there, would you have been, do you think that you would have met a lot of resistance from the existing people there that would have made it hard for you to accomplish anything? Like what could you like, like this is a big dream and big hope and I and I'm on your side but what could you have done It's a it's a fair question and I see the limits in what I could have done demonstrated in the way that the squad frankly has uh, been frankly unable to resist the continuing corporate rule of congress effectuated by Nancy Pelosi had I won in 2020 the biggest import would have been frankly removing Nancy Pelosi as a roadblock to change Yeah okay no shit yeah. I mean, addition by subtraction. I, mean, honest, I, I yeah. only ran for Congress because my city has been represented by a corporate icon yeah. for okay. my entire time Literally. in San Francisco. Yeah. Right? I love this city deeply, and I love what it stands for. This is a city that is a cultural capital of the United States. You know, I, I live at the corner of Haight and Ashbury, which has a storied legacy. This is where the you know the movement to promote free speech during the the war in Vietnam mm -hmm. reached its zenith. This is a hotbed of the environmental movement of the movement for gay liberation and inclusion of all peoples, even though it has a frankly terrifyingly uh, strong white supremacist sort of uh, culture just yeah. beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, but those things notwithstanding, San Francisco doesn't deserve to be represented in Washington by somebody who stands with Wall Street. It deserves Eden's. to be represented in Washington by somebody who stands with San Francisco. That's this a real ass answer right yeah, there. Yeah, I, that's, I that's, agree. You know what? Like, it's I already like, liked you, but that's just, you know, yeah. to say that, like, I, you ran for the office because your city deserves a better representation than what they've been getting. Like, fuck yeah. I, I, I rock yeah. with that. I, I, I think that's honorable as hell. Like, I don't I understand how you. this is a difficult choice to make. You've got a woman who eats $17 you ice cream. You sound so California. You, or like, you got a guy that's a DJ, man. Come on, shit. Like, I yeah, know who I mean, I'm partying with. God damn. <laughs> I mean, when you when I think about people that I want to represent me sticks in, out, in, in anything, in anything, whether it's legally <laughs> or whatever, yes, if I'm at a rave even, <laughs> the person that I want to represent me, like, I want them to have that passion yeah, yeah. for for me, you I know, totally and if agree. I'm, if you're a city, if you're San Francisco, you want the person that represents you to like, you know, represent you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's, a, you, you hit all those notes, brother. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Okay. And, and to, um, go into that a little bit further, um, um, about Pelosi here. Uh, so you said, you mentioned earlier that she hasn't debated anybody since the Reagan administration. How is she able to get away with that? How have no, how has nobody else been like calling like this is utterly ridiculous. You have to at least like express your views and defend your views. Um, is this so like, 
I'm sure it's for a number of reasons, but that she doesn't actually get pinned down to anything. But who's voting for somebody that won't debate? That won't, yeah, that's like, what, who's, that's what who's I, find, there going, I find that fascinating. Yeah, she, doesn't want to, she doesn't want to talk. It's fine. Yeah, it's like, fine. Who's voting for that? For 40 so years. Many layers here. So yeah, you're absolutely right that on the one hand, not being willing to defend your ideas in public should be disqualified. Yeah, totally agree. Someone who describes themselves as a public servant. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yep. just as a threshold matter, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Setting that aside, Mike drop. The reason that Pelosi has found her way to Congress for the last 33 years is because she hides behind corporate propaganda. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the electorate, frankly, has no idea what her record was. If San Franciscans had any idea how much Nancy Pelosi enabled Donald Trump over the last several years, there's no way she'd go back to Congress. And I made the case in every forum available to me. I literally rode around the city on the top of a van rhyming over house beats for the last six months. Exactly this. Uh, you know, been on every webcast we could get on, been all over the city. Yeah. I came up as a street MC, like rhyming in the street. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the corner of 16th and Mission. Like, I get as close to the ground as I can get. This dude is hood, so, man. Shit. Case who grapple with the facts, they get it. And since this fact of the matter is that every corporate media outlet in San Francisco either silenced me or smeared me. Wow. And, and and no one would talk about the issues for the last six months of the campaign in the middle of a pandemic. And while the state's on fire, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me about the Green New Deal or Medicare for all because they were all interested in basically a smear campaign yeah. that had weaponized identity politics to try to tear me down. And, you know, I go back. I want to connect this to the the other, you know, the question we were just raising before. And I appreciate your um you know, kind of reflection on, on what drove me to run. I just want to make this point because it didn't get acknowledged a lot when I ran. I've done the job before without a seat in Congress. I went to Washington twice. I left my life in San Francisco in 2003 and again in 2009 to go to DC and fight the right wing. And I worked as a lawyer. I helped, I, I, I litigated one of the first marriage equality country, cases in the country wow. while I was organizing grassroots resistance to Bush and his wars in the streets. And then I went back under the Obama administration to fight him from the left and to try to stop the immigration deportation wave. And I was part of Occupy. I was part of the Ferguson uprising seven years ago and you know, long before I ran for Congress. And, and I was reduced in running for office against Pelosi to some abstract lawyer and then sort of you know, viciously attacked based on my identity. And you know, if people looked at the receipts, that's what I'm trying to get yeah, They yeah. compared my receipts to Nancy Pelosi's receipts, I stood for gay rights when Nancy Pelosi wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I did it as a cis hetero Muslim man mm-hmm. raised in the Midwest long before it was popular. Whoa. There's receipts there. I am willing to do unpopular things that end up being right in retrospect. I've called the shot for the last 20 years and I'm tired of saying, I told you so. I just wish we could make better choices. And I'm in a position to help us do that if uh, my neighbors see fit to put me in that position to represent us in Washington. And while we were unsuccessful last year for any number of reasons, uh, the future subject to the caveat you asked a minute ago, you know, will we ever get Medicare for all if we can't get it now? I'm, I, while whatever that answer is, I'm willing to do everything possible to make sure that, that, that we, that we try, you know, wh- whether it's possible or not, uh, I'm willing to go down swinging. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that frustrates me the most is like the hypocrisy of Pelosi and everything is just that, um, like you talked about earlier, you said, uh, like not debating, it, it, you should be disqualified for that. I remember in an interview she was, or a press conference she was doing a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, um, someone started asking her uh, specific questions about the latest scandal that she was involved in or, or had ties to. And she just flat out said, like, I'm not going to answer it. And I remember telling uh, my girlfriend, at the t- I remember telling my girlfriend uh, after I would I'd, uh, watch that, I thought, like, you don't get to do that. You know, you don't get to just say, hey, I don't want to answer this. No, motherfucker. Like, you have to. An- you are you work for us. You don't get to just say, no. OK, next question. Like you don't get to do that, you know. Does it remind you of anyone in in, in Washington? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the parallels don't end there. Just to lay this out too, Trump and Pelosi are both wealthy people in government, mm-hmm. born with silver spoons in their mouths, yep. to powerful, connected East Coast families who went on to govern by theater and photo op yep. while evading and ducking tough questions. That's a great that point. Respect, and they both guard their class interests. It's mm-hmm. precisely the thing that aligns them. Yeah. And, and, I, and I just wish more people saw that similarity. And it takes turning off MSNBC and totally agree. reading the news yeah. to do it. Uh, but you know, reading between the lines too. of corporate propaganda dedicated to, you know, this, these fictions. Yeah. A lot of people, unfortunately, I think have been effectively brainwashed in the United States. A big part of totally agree. Is, is liberating people from that dynamic. I think. Yeah. 
so here here in Texas, like we hear the news from California and it to me it feels like you guys are living in a different place. I feel like like everybody I talk to, all my friends and people that I have in California, uh seem like they're driven by fear right now uh because of the pandemic and because of tensions from 2020 in general. Uh it just seems like everybody over there is living more cautiously than everywhere else in the country. Like, do you think that you guys know something that the rest of us don't know? Like, like, should, is there something that, that we don't see that we should be paying attention to? And this is why, uh, everything is so serious over there right now. Well, I mean, I think in terms of what, what people here might, uh, I, I don't think it's unique to California. And I would, I would even describe this as a shared understanding in many urban centers across the United States. People here understand that we are interdependent. Right. Period. You know, and we can't pretend that our path to liberation is isolated or individuated. Mm -hmm. I often say that libertarians and socialists are basically like two sides of the same coin. They're people who reject authority, who have differing views about their neighbors and whether they need them or not. Yeah. You know, libertarians often live in places where you don't live right next to your neighbor right. on top of them or beneath them. You know, it's like if my neighbor uses the restroom, I hear it in the pipes. You know? yeah. you, you, we live on top of one another <laughs> yeah. in urban centers and there's no illusion that we are separate. And I think in a lot of parts of the country, there's an illusion that you can seek liberation or freedom by yourself. And, and anybody in either an urban center or anybody in California knows that that's just absolutely ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And, and it takes sometimes that awareness. I mean, I think there's another piece here historically in terms of the culture in California. Mm -hmm. And remember, this was the, the westward point on the continental United States and San Francisco in particular, a century and a half ago was sort of like the destination point for a sort of entire frontier culture. People came here as iconoclasts. They were people rejecting and, and leaving differing parts of what was the sort of established civilizational culture. And so this is a city defined by iconoclasm. And, and that continues, you know, whether it's the beat poets in the 50s, whether it was the era of peace and love in the 60s, whether it was the era of gay liberation in the 70s, whether it's the you know Burning Man electronic music confluence that you know I came out of, there's a lot of these, uh, it's, a, it's a cultural and creative crucible, the Bay Area in particular. It's why I was drawn here 20 years ago as a young person. And, and I think that sensibility is one that's not isolated here. You know, I, I feel the same thing when I'm in the East Village. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel the same thing when I visit a lot of urban centers. I mean, people have an awareness of principles beyond us and these timeless values that enable us to live sane, humane, peaceful lives together. And it's that legacy that, that I think we are aware of here. Uh, maybe the other thing I just throw out there for what it's worth is that, you know, the wildfires make it really inescapable that the climate. Crisis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't go nowhere. <laughs> differing set of interests. You can't go north of Marin County and stuff. It's just like, oh, kind of, we love it. We're locked in. It's kind of like an island, but, you know, it's all good. We love it. It's great. I mean, even that, frankly, would be a step forward. I, you know, I have supporters all over and I talked to any number of people who were in this summer who were literally like fleeing fires. I, I remember one conversation that's etched into my memory. I called a supporter, you know, and I called my supporters as part of my job. I spent a lot of time doing that. And they were straight up in the car in the middle of an evacuation. Jesus. And I was just like, my thoughts Damn, are with you. Let's yeah. talk another time, yeah. obviously, right? But like to hear from people living crisis in yeah. real time, preventable crisis. Yeah. Like, this is a human engineered global catastrophe yeah. we have effectively contrived mm -hmm. for the sake of the convenience of industrial interests that we are too timid or weak or afraid to repudiate and overcome and overthrow and replace. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I basically, I put it this way, climate chaos is already killing Californians, I think. And, and Floridians, I think, also recognize how imminent and, and emergent it is. I think in Texas, maybe there's an illusion. Yeah, definitely. It's still a, you know, far off. There's a lot of illusions here in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to put a bow, just to kind of put a bow on what you just said, uh, I find it interesting um, I'm not sure that a lot of people know this, that Pelosi has over 40, like around $40 million, I've heard conservatively, uh, invested in real estate. And so now she's, uh, I, I just want to know how that's not a conflict of interest for her to deny a moratorium on rent while she's holding tens of millions of dollars in investments in, in the same company that she's, that they're going up against. Thanks. It's mind blowing. And I'll, beyond that, I mean, the 40 million in real estate, she's worth a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know I mean. They changed laws in Congress to basically legalize behavior she had been committing that previously was insider trading. Jesus. Uh, that was many years ago. Yeah. There's other conflicts of interest. I mean, the fact that she 
uh, here's a scandal in San Francisco that connects squarely to Pelosi and the real estate that nobody talks about. We have one of the country's worst examples of environmental racism right here in San Francisco. There's an entire neighborhood. Of course, it's our last black enclave in San Francisco is the Bayview and Hunter's Point. And it's a neighborhood that was poisoned by the U.S. Navy for 50 years. Jesus. It's the site where they built the nuclear bombs that were detonated over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They were built here in San Francisco and the entire neighborhood where they were tested, where they were built, where the ships were cleaned after doing the bomb tests in the South Pacific, that entire neighborhood has asthma rates and breast cancer rates, not only through the roof, they're among the worst in the world. Wow. And it would be great if Hunter's Point had a powerful member of Congress who might show up for their interests. But what has Nancy Pelosi done for Hunter's Point? She engineered a real estate deal to privatize the land on which now tens of thousands of housing units have been built on toxic land. People have to sign covenants if they move in that they won't grow food out of the soil. What? God damn. That's amazing. That they won't grow food? Wow. Ask me how many national journalists have ever asked Nancy Pelosi about it. Zero, I'm sure. Ever. Yeah, zero. The exact same number who've ever asked her why she hasn't debated since 1987, yeah. and that is zero. There's lab dogs. It's like a, it's, it's a whole, like, it's, it's cyclical. You know, obviously, like, the, the corporate media obviously doesn't hold her accountable, um, and then she gets to hide behind her corporate donors, and she's, you know, she's, she's just running roughshod over there, man. She's, and, and since 87, she hasn't debated anyone, like... Okay, that that is mind blowing to me, and also that you've seen like debates have kind of become a thing of the past in general. You know, you don't see this too often, especially with people like her. She, it's just like she's like a queen almost. You know, well, that's the nature of long serving corporate incumbents is they attain this air of entitlement, and they think that they are entitled to their positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's worse than that actually, in that the Pelosi's are a family dynasty, mm-hmm. and she is the matriarch of it. Her, they've been openly grooming her daughter to serve in the seat if Nancy ever retires. Her nephew is the governor of California. Jesus. Her brother served in Congress. Oh, that's her right. Yeah. a big city mayor. Really? Like, yeah, I didn't know that. I forgot about that. All those things are true. And, and you know, if there's anything that disturbs me more than corporate rule, it's nepotism. My yeah. family yeah. immigrated to the United States. I am an immigrant, a proud immigrant. Uh-huh. And we came here for freedom and opportunity. There's a set of principles embedded in our constitution. One of them is an anti-nobility clause. And the idea that we would allow family dynasties, whether it's the Bushes or the Clintons, the Kennedys, the Pelosi's, mm. to occupy this position of effective nobility, it offends me deeply yeah. as a patriot. As I'm not willing to accept it. And, and I, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a locus of the corruption, even above and beyond the capital stream that I think goes unnoticed and, and unobserved. But it is, frankly, absolutely crucial in terms of recognizing what we confront. And that is not just corporate rule, but any number of holes in the bucket of our democracy. I mean, I could unpack that for days. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's corporate money and lobbying. When, when, when we were uh, prepping for this, you were talking about uh, similarities between uh, uh, the, you, uh, the building the bridge uh, between politics and where you're at right now. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and get into that. Um, so I don't I don't vote. You know, uh, I voted in 2008. Um, I, I want to know, I, I guess just to kind of give my, my perspective, the reason why I don't vote, I guess, is because I haven't really been, uh, I, I'll be honest. I haven't thought that politics have solved problems. You know, I don't, I haven't seen that happen. Um, I haven't found anyone that, that I necessarily agree with. Now had Bernie Sanders been like the, uh, the nominee, I most likely would have voted. Um, but I don't, I don't have any, um, delusions that like politics is a long-term play. I feel like we need to evolve new ideas. We need to um, bring in new ideas and the way that the, the political system has been corrupted or designed for corruption um, has kept me and I'm sure a lot of other people from voting. So I, we want to know like, what, how, what would you say to people like myself? And there's a lot of us out there. I mean, over half the country doesn't vote um, and maybe, maybe even more. Um, what would you say to people like that? Now, now, you know, if we had options like yourself, I would probably be a little bit more involved, I guess. Um, uh, I just don't see anyone. I just see like, it's, I see it as two the same wing of the capitalist party. The, uh, when you're absolutely right about that. I mean, so just to meet you where you're at, I totally understand why thoughtful people might be disillusioned with politics because you know, where you started is absolutely right. Politics hasn't solved problems, but that's not inherent. That's not baked in the sauce. That's a thing that we can change. And, and I want to particularly, and, you know, a couple of reflections here. Um, one, you know, for myself, I come to electoral politics after having spent 20 years doing policy advocacy and direct action and community organizing. 
and art in action. So I don't, I don't perceive electoral politics in any way as the end all be all. You know, my, my short answer to your point about long-term versus short-term is yes. And we need all of it. We need to, we need to not just vote. We need to organize our community and build mutual aid networks. We need to organize the capacity and execute a general strike to hold capital accountable. We need to perform direct actions and intervene at the point of intervention when capital extracts and Mm -hmm. abuses people and communities. We have to do all of those things. And we have to show up in the halls of Congress to advocate for policies and do the work to send the coalition letters and have the meetings and follow up with the inside actors and push on the outside. You know, it's a complex system and we can't presume that any piece of it alone is enough. Any piece of it is necessary, but alone, any piece of it is also insufficient. Mm -hmm. And the last place I'd go here is that I think when we look at the presidential level, it's very easy to be disillusioned about politics, particularly the November 2020 election was a clown show. I mean, you literally had your choice between two white right wing figures with histories of racial marginalization and, you know, very legitimate uh, concerns about their their own you know interactions with women. Uh, not smears, but like legitimate ones based on even things like videos, right? P- things that everybody has seen. Um, and it just strikes me as amazing that that is the spectrum of choice we are afforded. And I can completely understand why looking at that level of the ballot, why someone with your perspective would be like, at this, I'm not going to participate. Yeah, this. Yeah. this is a joke, right? Yeah. But the point here is to look down the ballot because past the president, now, yes, I ran for Congress and I'm, you know, one example, I, I would hope of a awful candidate that people might get behind if they have me on the ballot. But beyond Congress, even when you start getting down into state legislatures, yeah. particularly city councils, school boards, mm-hmm. even, there are all kinds of insightful, inspiring, committed truth tellers that are running for office down ballot across the United States. And, and even if you're uninspired by the presidential candidates, you forget them. Mm-hmm. The closer to the, the smaller the jurisdictional unit, the, the more, more impactful mm-hmm. the office can be and the more impactful your vote can be. Yeah. And beyond your vote, you know, again, I'd say voting is like the price of entry where that where it's really meaningful is when you volunteer with a candidate who inspires you or maybe become a candidate yourself to fill that void. If there is, you know, a teacher running for the school board in your community who's committed to the students or, uh, you know, here in San Francisco, there's a member of our board of supervisors who was a housing rights lawyer before. Uh, going to the board, you know, and that's someone who I was very happy to volunteer for and support and like showing up to support the voices in your community to make introductions, uh, even just going pandemics aside to a public event and being there to help them sign up other people to get updates. Like that's a hugely important, completely overlooked and so crucial role. Uh, I see ultimately electoral politics is just one link in a chain uh, and, and it's a chain we need to break in order to liberate ourselves. And, and at the moment we've been uh, con- constrained, co-opted by the system that hasn't allowed any kind of choice to the voters beyond an illusory one, you know, a tribal difference. Does he wear red or blue? Yeah. Well, can we actually get down to policies and be like, who's going to provide and vote to provide basic needs as human rights? That's the question before us. And, you know, all this tribalism, any blue will do. You know, I don't believe that for a second. Uh, and I understand why you might defect as it were from the process. Maybe mm-hmm. the last thing I'd say here is that the people who choose not to vote are the sleeping giant of our democracy. Because if we engage them, and here I'm speaking to Democrats who are entirely too willing to abandon those people, if we engage those people, we can not only mow down the GOP, but we can usher in the paradigm-shifting policies that we need to address the crises confronting our country. And we don't have to throw our hands up in the air. We don't have to say, oh, it can't be done. You know, Wall Street's rule is inevitable. That is the attitude of a lemming running off a cliff. And we are better than that. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of questions for you before we wrap this up. Um, has anyone Sorry, from the, like, no, you're good. That was really good. No, you're good, brother. I oh, like that. You're killing it. Yeah, bro. You're killing it, man. It's awesome. it. super interesting. I got to ask you, uh, has anyone from the Illuminati approached you to join or wanted to make sure they can. <laughs> have you been invited yeah, to any I, I pizza parties lately? <laughs> I met Christine Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, so that's that's at, close. At the California Democratic Convention and she <laughs> ran for me as if I had the plague. This was pre-pandemic. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I, I would say I'm to the extent there, I don't think that there's a secret society controlling anything, but to the extent there are elites, yeah. you know, I'm running against the queen. Yeah, you're, you're running against one of them. Just don't go to Bohemian Grove. I can tell you that if they if they invite you there, just just pass. It's funny <laughs> you should say that because I actually was part of a protest about an annual gathering. That <laughs> That's awesome, dude. 
Hell yeah. That's great. Did you oh. see Alex Jones there? <laughs> he would have been the shirtless one in the wood in the right <laughs> Look, behind a tree. Looking like Bert Kreischer running <laughs> around. <laughs> um, I do want to touch on something real quick just because of the news that, that just came down uh, yesterday with Assange. Um, yeah. You've been a, sta- a staunch opponent of NSA surveillance and what you call surveillance capitalism. Can you tell everyone why that's important? Uh, and and because um, I always hear like a lot of dumb people say, you know, you hear people say this stuff. They're like, if you don't have anything to worry about, you know, you don't care. But obviously, that's that's. I got not true. nudes. Yeah, yeah, dog. I got some I got, nudes. I got nudes. I got like, plenty of nudes. I'm worried about that. <laughs> I don't need but that can you talk about this in a rhyme? Yeah, yes. y'all. Shit, what's up? Hell yeah. The NSA breaks the law every day. It doesn't matter who you are or what you say. They monitor your calls and emails anyway. Corrupt Congress and courts paving the way. There is a lesson we'll all learn someday. Watch what you say. They spy on your mind. Oh, shit. There's more. I I recorded this in 2014. There's a music video, NSA versus USA. We're like, I get into it. Yeah, yeah. the, The long story short here is that mass surveillance is the nail on the coffin of a democracy. Mm -hmm. And people think of it as an offense of privacy. It's not privacy I'm worried about. It is dissent. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. anybody who thinks they have nothing to hide and therefore nothing to fear, I would invite them to read some dystopian fiction about the systems. Kafka comes to mind better than Orwell about what happens in the result. I would particularly paraphrase Edward Snowden here. He says that if you think you have nothing to hide and therefore nothing to to fear, it means probably that you don't have very much to say. Yeah. And the whole point of privacy constitutionally is to enable vulnerable people to speak mm-hmm. because the First Amendment isn't just a right to speak. It's a right to hear mm-hmm. everyone. And if anyone is silenced, the theory of our constitution is that we are all harmed. Mm-hmm. And that's a crucial thing to recognize here because if that's the case, we can't presume that it's safe just because any one of us have nothing to fear. Because if your neighbor is silenced, it means our democracy internalizes a harm. It's not the threat to individual privacy that particularly alarms me. It is how surveillance and secrecy both represent a hole in the bucket of our democracy. Uh, I want to connect this to history, so I'm just going to jump to a different verse in the rhyme that I forgot. But this also (laughs) is particularly important because we're about to celebrate Martin Luther King Day later this month. And this relates to the answer to this question. So 400 years since World War I, the FBI versus free speech held the gun. Constitutional rights on the run. The Palmer raids were first, but not the last one. Fast forward 40 years to the real Red Scare. McCarthy did a number, but the FBI was there. Man, they were everywhere. They knew what you wore to bed. They prosecuted people for the thoughts in our heads. They tried to drive MLK to suicide. No one even know why Brother Malcolm died. Fred Hampton was killed in his own house. Inside, the feds bombed Earth activist Judy Berry and lied, and those lies go all the way up the chain of command. The FBI lies to judges when on the stand. The director, the head honcho, the man I'm referencing here in July 2010 Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, said his lies were unplanned, that he didn't understand that it's the FBI and the NSA against the Constitution. We, the people, are the ones our government is abusing. But here's the key. We can force any agency to acknowledge our rights if we build a movement raising our voice. That's all. We can do, can we do this? Is this this more appropriate? <laughs> I might throw you a link to uh, the music video. Who, who? The yeah, please yes, do. Do that, please. That was absolutely, awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Shahid, we want to get you on again uh sometime, you know, later in the future. Uh if Thank you're down. You so this much was a great interview. In. Uh I hope everyone uh Hope you guys uh, learned something. Yeah, I hope you learned something. I hope you learned something. You tuned in thing, you was gonna get a bunch of laughs and chuckles. You didn't even know you was gonna get some we real got, knowledge dropped in your we're head. Serious sometimes, man. We Shahid, that was yeah, that was thank awesome. Thank you so much. Like what an awesome interview. Honestly, opened my eyes to some things. Uh, great conversation, man. And man, we really appreciate you being here. Yeah, I really definitely. appreciate y'all. I, 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 I'm, uh, I speak a lot about issues, but um, I don't often have a chance to. Um, talk about culture beyond politics. So I appreciate you, you know, just expanding the frame and giving me. Yeah, definitely brother. Like like we said, we want to have you on again uh, sometime in the the near future and everything. And we can expand the conversation and touch on some things that we weren't able to get to because we had uh, tons of questions and Uh, amazing interviews. We can can keep going down this road. Uh, Can you give the people uh, where they can find you, uh, what your handles are, website, everything? I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm online at shahidforchange.us. You can also, a short link to it is shahid.fyi. And uh, I'll say this too, I haven't formally declared my candidacy for 2022, but I'm exploring the possibility. So if folks want to see me run, uh, show some support. I need help to make it happen. Yeah, show some support. Share this out.
Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having uh for coming on the show, brother. We really appreciate it. This was awesome. It's hilarious. For sure. Super interesting guy. Um, we'll have you on again soon, brother. Thanks again. Stay safe. And next time you might get this. Yeah, who knows, might, man? That might be yours Brush next time. Brush up on your California uh I'm start studying right now. <laughs> yeah, there you Better go. Brother. Get on your California love, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Awesome. Take a good work, y'all. Thanks, right, brother. Nice have a good care. day, man. Peace. Um, and thank you guys yeah, for, tuning, thanks for in tuning in to the Gray Area Podcast right here on Hot Pie Media dot com. Chad. Yeah, you can find us there. Uh, find us on uh, uh, Instagram. It's uh, at uh, podcast. podcast the Gray Area. Uh-huh. Um, you can find us on hotpymedia.com backslash uh-huh. the Gray Area Podcast. Facebook. Facebook is dot uh, com slash the Gray Area Podcast as well. Um, you can find Chad on 12th and Chacon later on tonight. <laughs> you can find me 12th and Chacon with a wife beater on. With a wife beater and no draws. <laughs> just, a, just a backpack and shit. <laughs> just the sandwich board. Dog, I wear draws. You, you don't need to wear stop draws. with this shit, and- man. You about to like, start like some awful rumors and shit. That's exactly what we're going for. Hey, thank you guys yeah. for tuning in again. Uh, thank you for just letting us be us. Until yeah. next time, here's Mud and Yaj from the Gray Area Podcast. Peace. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.